It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Holy crap, there's music now. Uh, hi, uh, welcome to episode number 189 of Locked On Raptors for Monday, September 18th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley, RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter at WoodleySean, and the show is on Twitter as well, Locked On Raptors. You can find links to every single episode. Locked On Raptors, of course, is also part of the Locked On Podcast Network, which hosts team-focused shows for all 30 NBA teams, as well as Locked On Fantasy with Josh Lloyd and Locked On NBA with David Locke, and those are all together on the Locked On NBA iTunes channel. Uh, Josh is ramping up the fantasy content right now. If you have a draft coming up, make sure you turn into Locked On Fantasy. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to have uh, team previews for all 30 teams on the Locked On NBA show with David. Uh, we did this, this last year. It was a pretty good format. We kind of roll through this four episodes. We do you know half a conference on each episode, and uh, everyone gets a five to seven minute clip where they talk about their team. So make sure you tune in for that. Uh, I'll be doing the one. I think it's going to be like October 9th when I'm going. I'm one of the last shows that's going to come out, but uh, still read, listen to all those anyway. It's a great way to get sort of acquainted with every team uh our show locked on raptors is on itunes please leave a rating or review on the itunes page it's a really great way for help to for us to help grow our audience base it helps people discover the show uh and it's uh i really do appreciate it It doesn't take very much time we're lagging there haven't been many comments over the summer and i guess that's understandable i suppose but if you're a listener i you have no idea how much i appreciate it if you were to put it down it's a free podcast that's all i ask just put a review there it helps people help to move us up into the visibility of the charts and uh, yeah, please do that. You've heard this spiel, spiel a million times before, and if you haven't done it already, you're probably not going to, but I would appreciate it if you would do it. Uh, on today's show, I am joined by Nathaniel Bazin, who is a writer in the city, uh, and he wrote a wonderful piece for The Walrus uh, about the Carter effect and Vince Carter uh, last week. I, I've tweeted it out a couple times this week, and I had him on to talk about Vince Carter and his piece and sort of the weird conundrum of assessing Vince Carter's time in Toronto and a lot of different nuance that goes into it when it comes to you know the graduation day thing that he had on game seven of the of the Sixers series in 01 I talked about the, the the eventual trade and how crappy it was for the Raptors and how things play out differently if the trade isn't even so lopsided and maybe people forgive Vince a little sooner uh, we talked about a whole wide range of Vince Carter related topics and it was really great to have Nathaniel on make sure you follow Nathaniel on Twitter at Nathaniel Basin and uh, read his great stuff and uh, yeah this was a good chat and this is kind of the last of the off-season podcasts uh, we're gonna have two podcasts coming out today actually this is Monday we're talking uh, later on this afternoon I'm recording the first of like 20 something uh preview pods with uh, vivek jacob who's going to be a weekly contributor on the pod this week or this season uh and we're, we're going to talk about uh cj miles against norman powell for the starting spot in the raptors lineup at the small forward uh position so we're going to dive deep into that for about 20 minutes or so in our very first of the questions podcast uh just a, a little bit of warning like i'm not going to go too much into preseason games uh i'll watch the odd one here and there i think i'm moving on the day of the first one so i won't really be watching the first one i don't think uh, i think that's in hawaii as well I think it's at a weird time, so I'm not sure I'll get to watch it, but uh, I'll, I'll watch the preseason games. They're not interesting to me, so I'm not going to like dedicate a lot of 
podcast time to them. Uh, that's why I've come up with like 20 questions. And a lot of these questions have come via Twitter questions anyway. So I know it's stuff you want to hear about. And I'm just going to break down all these questions sort of one at a time in podcast form. Go 15, 20 minutes on each one of them just to get deep into them. There's a lot of questions about this Raptors team this season. So uh, we're going to dive deep into all those over the next few weeks until the season comes up. We are... I think 31 days away from the Raptors' first game, which is exciting. I think it's October 19th. It's very, very exciting. I can't wait. Uh, All right. I'm going to stop boring you now. We're going to get to the conversation with Nathaniel. Once again, thanks for listening. And we'll be back later today with the first of our preseason preview episodes with Vivek Jacob. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Cheers. All right. Joining me now on Locked on Raptors to wrap up the offseason, to put a little bow on it with our last sort of uh, off-the-beaten-path topic before we get uh, back into the nitty-gritty of preview stuff uh, from The Walrus, or at least from a, a wonderful piece written for The Walrus. It's Nathaniel Basin. How you doing, man? Good, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I wanted to have you on. Uh, people who follow me, I've tweeted this piece out a couple times over the last week. You wrote an excellent essay uh, sort of about the Carter effect, the the doc from Sean Menard, and uh, what's the... Un, uninterrupted? Is that the... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's, that's LeBron James production company. Uh, the doc that aired at TIFF about Vince Carter and sort of his impact on the Toronto basketball scene and sort of a trip back through memory lane of everything that transpired while Vince Carter was part of the Raptors. And your piece was just uh, really well thought out. I thought it really sort of covered um, a lot of the just the a lot of the controversial aspects of Vince Carter and his time with the Raptors and sort of shed different light on him that maybe not the angles that people are normally looking at when they talk about Vince Carter. I feel like a lot of the conversation about Vince can be very simplistic and doesn't really look at the nuance of what was going on at the time with the team and with the player himself. And I feel like a lot of the things that happened with Vince Carter in 20 or between like 2002 and 2005 wouldn't really be viewed in such a negative light today. And I think you did a really good job of sort of laying laying that out. Um, and you wrote it sort of in response to seeing the Carter effect. So first off, let me ask you about the doc. Um, you know, is the movie, does it sort of paint Carter in a sympathetic light? Is, is that is that kind of what informed your opinion, or was it a more of a negative look at his time in Toronto, and you kind of wanted to write the counterpoint to that? Well, actually, this, um, first off, I appreciate you reading it and tweeting it out. That's um, very kind of you. Um, the essay itself, I wanted to write for about uh, six to eight months now. I kind of had the idea... Um, uh, quite like a while ago, um, but I needed sort of a something to hitch it to, right? So I was thinking right. I'd write it when Vince retired, um, and then he's never going to retire. So when I saw <laughs> the um, when I saw this document, I said, "Well, that'd be a kind of perfect opportunity um, to to write this essay that I've wanted to write for for a while." Um, the doc itself um, is definitely sympathetic to the idea of Vince. Um, okay, it doesn't really go into sort of the the controversies of Vince, it almost glosses over all that stuff and instead focuses on, like as the title suggests, um, the effect, right? right? So everything that came after that, what it did for Toronto's hip-hop culture, um, uh, for its uh, basketball team, for Basketball Canada, um, for Toronto as far as like um, coming into its own as a city that feels cool, um, that's sort of like the, the driving force behind the whole, the whole thing. Um, it doesn't focus too much on the basketball side, you know, did he give up? Was he hurt? Was he this? Was he that? That's not really um, what, it, what it talks about all that much. Fair enough. Yeah, and for the listeners, I'm going in a little bit blind. I didn't get a chance to see the Carter effect at TIFF. I'm hopefully going to see it whenever it's you know, got a wider release. But 
but yeah, so to get into sort of the, the stuff from back in the day that you kind of get into, the stuff that maybe the, the film didn't really touch on, uh, you wrote in your piece a lot about the, I guess it's sort of the main touchstone that people go back to, it's the graduation thing with Vince, where he went to his grad the same day as Game 7 uh, against uh, the Sixers in 2001, and that was kind of, I think, where, that was kind of the, the peak of Vince's powers in Toronto, that series, I mean, I was at Game 6 of that series, and that was... You know, for me, like a seminal sporting moment, I was like seven or eight years old and it was amazing. Um, and after that, I think after that game seven where he missed that shot, things gradually kind of went downhill from there. Um, you did a really good job of sort of laying out why it's kind of ridiculous to, you know, continue to hammer on Vince for going to his grad the same day. And like, this is one of these things that I feel like today it wouldn't really be viewed as such a negative thing for a guy to do. And I think, like I sort of mentioned at the top, I think a lot of the things that Vince, you know, did or what, or that happened between Vince and the team, had they happened today, like, I feel like they wouldn't really be considered all that, you know, taboo. Uh, like, the, the comparison I like to bring up is DeMarcus Cousins, for example. Like, DeMarcus Cousins, what happened with him and the Kings feels like a really similar situation. Yes, there's not the injury sort of uh, understory there, but, you know, aside from the fact that, you know, Vince had laid a lot more groundwork for fan appreciation after the fact than DeMarcus Cousins ever did with Sacramento. Like, it's kind of a similar situation, a rift between a poorly managed team and a sort of a malcontent player. Um, and I don't think people really view Cousins in a negative light for what happened. There may be some do, but I think a lot of people pin the blame on Sacramento as a franchise. Uh, whereas with the Raptors, like, there was a lot of stuff going on there where the Raptors were terribly run, and they didn't really have any sort of, you know, direction when it came to hiring coaches. They hired freaking Kevin O'Neill, and then Sam Mitchell, <laughs> and Rob Babcock had no idea what he was yeah. doing. He drafted Hoffa the year before Vince ended up getting traded. Like, do you kind of agree with me there? Like, well, do think, you think I think it's... that Boogie thing is um, a really interesting comparison, and I, I think that you're you're uh, pretty much spot on. Um I think that the, the interesting thing for me with this whole Vince thing, um, and I think you're right that it'd be viewed differently today, um, is uh, there is this sort of alternate universe that I mentioned in the piece where he hits that shot, right? Yeah. And all of those things that we look at with Vince that um, tore him down, whether it was graduation, which was um, obviously huge, um, but again, they re-signed him that offseason, right? So... Um, uh, there's graduation, and then there's the whole thing where he was a mama's boy, and there was the injuries, and all the, all this stuff that kind of happened. Almost all of it, if looked at from the other side, is kind of lovely, right? Like, he loves his mom. That's mm-hmm. lovely. She wanted to be around. That's really nice, right? And yeah. then, like, he went to, wanted to, gradu- went to graduate to get his degree and to um, show how much he cares about her and what he promised her. That's so nice, right? <laughs> and today, I think you're right that the narrative is in a way has shifted where Fans are definitely more, um, they're, they're more in tune with the individual athlete and not just with the team. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still think today uh, that problem uh, exists. Where I, th- I think with Boogie, my sense at least, I'm not in Sacramento obviously, but it seems like some people really did sort of turn on him um, because of this idea that he's a malcontent player. But all you hear from players in the NBA is that they love Boogie. Mm-hmm. Um, like DeMar DeRozan, for example, has said, you know, he's just misunderstood. He's a great guy and a hard worker. You know, LeBron loves him. These guys play the Olympic team with him. They love him. Um, but there is this idea out there that he's um, a bad influence. And it's even taken over um, uh, with the with New Orleans, right, where people people there are saying, oh, maybe it wasn't a good, good idea. He's not a good locker room guy. Um, when you don't hear that from any, any players, right, That's a, you just don't hear it from anybody. 
The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting, too. I think the concept of loyalty is like it's kind of a thing that fans are having to grapple with right now in the NBA because it feels like, I think ever since the decision, really, like it's kind of, it started with that and it's just sort of, you know, been rolling ever since with guys like Kevin Durant. Like the idea of like team and player, like player, a player being loyal to a team is kind of, you know, disintegrating a little bit right now where I just don't really think that's a thing that is important as, or is as important as it used to be. Like, I feel like back in like the 80s or the 90s, you know, guys were sort of lauded for staying with one team for the, their entire careers. And I just feel like that's not something that is, you know, views of virtue anymore. Or maybe it is, but like, it's just not as, as focused on. Um, well, and for me, I just yeah. love to see like one team be loyal to a player, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, even if you look at like Dirk in Dallas, yeah. the guy took probably, what, an $8 million pay cut this year to stay with him? He signed him for, like, 4 mil, I think. Yeah. Um, like, the, the idea that Dirk has to give up anything to play for Dallas is insane. Yeah. Right? Um, you, you don't see any team saying, well, you're not good anymore. We're going to pay you because you were, you know, we're loyal to you. It doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, so this idea that players should have to do the opposite is equally ridiculous. Yeah. That's kind of – that leads into what I was going to ask you about is because, like, you know, you hear about that Dirk thing and, it, you know, for me – the time where I sort of learned to forgive Vince was when I kind of you know began to grow up and kind of realize how ridiculous the structure of the NBA is and how they restrict player movement and how it just it, it's a really bizarre system when you compare it to literally any other business in the world. And I think as sort of you know you just grow up and kind of learn these things, you kind of understand that like it's just there's no way a player should be loyal to a team. There's no reason for them to be. Um, and that's kind of when you know right around 2010, 2011, 2012, like that. That's kind of in the sweet spot where I was like, you know what, Vince, you know, I don't have any ill will for him anymore. Sounds like you're kind of in the same age bracket as me from reading yeah. the piece. Um, and like, so what, I'll ask you, like, when was the time that you sort of learned to love Vince Carter again and kind of forgave, forgave him for what happened? So this was actually a, a part of the piece that um, uh, we ended up cutting. Um, but originally I kind of wrote about that time in my life as well, um, which is uh, I was in grade eight um, and my grade eight teacher um, was my absolute hero. The guy was my idol. Um, and he was a big hoop head and he hated Vince. Absolutely hated him. And he told us all, this is in 2004, 2000, no, 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 2006. This is 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, he said that Vince was selfish and he never won a championship and all this stuff. Um, and when he said that, and I actually thought about it. That's when I started to really think like, I never, I ever actually believed that, right? Um, mm-hmm. And once I had someone kind of present it to me, I, I kind of thought, well, no, this is a guy I liked, and I still like him. Um, I don't think I understand why I liked him, but I just always kind of intuitively did. Um, obviously, you know, people tell you he's evil, so you, you think, oh, he's, he left you, he whatever. But I I was still just so in awe of him that I could never really hate him in that way. Um, and I think that the, like, the idea of coming around to uh, this sort of like failed hero and still being okay with him was a very important time for me as a sports fan, I think, um, where I sort of like 
start to understand what I what I was as a sports fan. I think there's different kinds of sports fans, right? And that's yeah. when I figure out who who I was as a sports fan. That's fair. Um, how much do you think the sort of things that the, that the doc lays out in terms of the effect of Carter and how sort of his impact on the team and the and the city and the country is still being felt today? Like, how much does that go towards? You know, I guess for you as someone who never really held all that much ill will, maybe they're not the right person to ask this towards, but how much should it sort of factor into how people view Vince Carter? Because, yeah, maybe things ended pretty poorly at the time, but, like, the impact of him being here is, you know, inarguably positive when it comes to basketball and just culture in the city. So, like, how much of that should play into how, like, how quickly people forgive him? Well, I think it's huge because I think that um, it goes back to the beginning of it all, which is that Vince came here and he liked it, right? Yeah. Like, he came to Toronto and decided that it was going to be his home, yeah. which is crazy. Like, he should never have wanted to do that. He was drafted to some random city he'd been to once with a team that was no good, and he made it his own, right? And so I think that is so um, laudable on its own that the idea that there even was a Carter effect shows that he made Toronto his, which I think says a lot about him and, frankly how loyal he is to teams that, you know, take um, a chance on him. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up-to-date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yeah, and you touched on another thing too with Vince in that the the sort of idea of him never really wanting the the burden of being sort of the, the front-facing guy of an organization and why you think sort of, you know, as he's gone on in his career where he's become this like super role player who everybody loves because he's old and can still dunk um, and he's just super endearing at this point. Uh, and you sort of got into that and how that that's probably more in line with how he is as a person. I, I don't really know even what to ask about this. It's just a fascinating sort of concept that, you know, a guy who's that good and that talented was never really, you know, cut out for all the stuff that comes with being that good and sort of would pr- prefer to be on the sidelines. Like, I think that's totally that, – that's – he seems like a really human guy to me because I feel like a lot of people kind of have that thing where, you know, you wouldn't want to be facing the, you know, I feel like we go through this all the time. You don't want to really be facing the, the, the brunt of a lot of things. I don't know. It's, I don't, again, I don't really know, even know, I don't have a question prepared for yeah, this. It's just, it's just think, an interesting it's, concept to me. it's fascinating, right? Yeah. Like, this, this is actually what I spoke about with um, Joe Wolf on before I wrote the piece. Yeah. Um, and this is, I think he had some great insight about it um, where, yeah, he, he, he was totally miscast right um obviously you're a young guy you're supremely athletic um you're rich you're famous uh that's good everyone mm-hmm. likes that right that's there's at no point at that time was vince saying oh i don't like this <laughs> right um but i think that enjoying stardom and being comfortable with it are different things right. and i don't think that he was ever comfortable with it and part of that is that you know, with stardom and with fame comes that just like, consuming criticism. Um, when he was hurt or when he was not hurt or when he wasn't dunking anymore and all that kind of stuff, it wasn't like he'd go and, and have a question in an interview and it was over, right? Mm-hmm. It was consuming. There's fans would yell at him and there was editorials written and all this stuff. And that's really hard to deal with. Um, and I don't think that there are many people who are capable of dealing with that. 
you look at um, today's NBA, right, and LeBron is able to sort of forget everything. He has that sort of superhuman ability to pretend as if nothing matters to him, Mm -hmm. right? But Kevin Durant's literally creating Twitter accounts. It's pretty (laughs) small, right? The people who are actually able to just say whatever when everyone's coming at you. Um, And I don't think that's a, a human failure. I think that's just how we're built. We don't like being made fun of. We don't like being told we're wrong, right? That's not a nice feeling. Would Vince Carter have created alternate Twitter accounts to boost himself up had Twitter been around in 2003? I so hope that that story is true and that it wasn't. it's not some other explanation because that is just incredible. Right? <laughs> it's kind of damning. I don't know. It's uh, I don't really know how he, he's going to explain his way out of this on the next Bill Simmons podcast he does, but yeah. I'm fascinated I, to see. That's just the funniest thing, man. <laughs> the idea of him on his phone with like nine different accounts. It's just so good. We're all human and we don't like to be denigrated for, especially when we're really good at the thing that we're being denigrated for. I can see why that totally, would be on a right? person. You're what? top three in the world at the thing you do. Yeah. <laughs> when did Vince like first rope? Did you have like a standout Vince like memory that first roped you in? Like, was there a game that you went to or a game you saw on TV that was like, okay, this guy is my guy? Um, so, because I was so young at the time, um, I feel like my um, the order of operations is off in my head. Yeah. Where I, something's happened. I can't remember that happened before or after this, that. Uh, but the, the three things that always stand out to me with Vince, um, one is that dunk contest, which was just the coolest thing to ever happen. Um, right? That was just so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, the other was uh, that game against the Clippers, I think. When they came back, they're down big and they made this huge comeback at the end um and they won a a Vince game winner but more importantly he had just the most incredible alley-oop dunk I've ever seen right um where he just he goes up and he's above the rim for what feels like an hour right (laughs) it's it's just just incredible and then number three um will always be uh that that Sixers series I mean like you go um uh, I remember at the time you're visiting my dad's friend in Cambridge, who lived on a farm up there, and they had uh, horses, and they had a, a foal born the game after, I think after game two, um, and they named it Eric Carter, and I said, that's like, that's really cool, <laughs> right? like, this, this, that, is, that his reach is in Cambridge, Ontario, where these people, five years before, hadn't even turned a basketball game on their entire life, right, um, and I think that was kind of the Carter effect, where he took basketball to places that had never been before. Yeah, by the way, just for the record, Vince Carter in Game 7 against the Sixers was 6 of 18 for 20 points, 9 assists. Not the yeah. best. Uh, 0 of 3 from deep, and of course one of those misses with that. Allen Iverson was 8 of 27 in that That's game. That's my so, thing. Like... AI was brutal too, and no one cares. <laughs> right before the, right before Vince's missed shot, yeah. um, AI had the chance. He had an easy pull-up J from like 15 feet that he should have hit and would have put the game out of reach, right? Yeah. yeah. But he missed it. And he was wide open, and no one cares. Even right? like, yeah. It's amazing what two inches can do um, to, a, to a, a person's life in, the, in when they're in sports. He also played all 48 minutes of that game, which is crazy. Yeah, um, yeah for me, I think my Vince moment, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before. Uh, it's kind of one that I, I don't know if many people would have, just because it was like a personal experience of mine. Like, I... I was aware of Vince Carter. I was a Raptors fan, I guess you could say, before this happened. Like, this was after the dunk contest took place. Of course, I knew all that taking place. Um, 
But I went to a game in 2000, I think it was 2000, or I guess it was early 2001, uh, like January 2001. I went with my grandpa to a game uh, against the Bucks, and we were on the GO train, and the GO train broke down. And it was, it was of course, like, if anyone's ever been on the GO train on the way to a sporting event, it's miserable because you know you're about to miss a bunch of the sporting event, and it's terrible because at that time, like, tickets are hard to come by. Like, we would just get tickets, like, the odd time, like, through my dad's work, and that was about the only time I got to go to games. Um, and so, yeah, it was, like, heartbroken. And the entire trip down... My grandpa was talking about Ray Allen and how great Ray Allen was. And I was like, yeah, Ray Allen's cool, but, like, Vince Carter's awesome, too. He's like, yeah, Vince is great. I love Vince, too. But Ray Allen's amazing. He might be better than Vince. And we get to this game. We get there right at the tail end of the first half. And Vince has just poured in his 23rd point of the game. Uh, and then he ended up scoring 47 in the game. Had, like, a couple of crazy dunks in the fourth quarter. Uh, outscored Ray Allen by, like, 20, that, that punk Ray Allen. And that was kind of, for me, like, okay, yeah, this guy is above anything I've ever seen as a sports fan. And, yeah, I'm young and stupid. <laughs> I haven't seen much yet. Yeah. But, like, it, that was the sort of indelible moment for me. And then, yeah, the, the playoff series, like I mentioned, I was at Game 6 of the Sixers series, and I will just never forget the the, the buzz in that building. And, like, I've covered playoff games now, but, like, still nothing really matches that for me, at least in my memory where you sort yeah. of reflect things from your childhood. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that season for me was really it. And then, of course, as we talked about, it kind of got worse from there. Well, I say one of, the, one of the coolest Vince moments, and it hurts so much to say, but when he came back, and I think it was the first game uh, when he came back against Toronto for the Nets, and he hit the game-winning shot, and Jason Kidd jumped on his back, and it was just, that was like hurt so much, but it was so cool. Right, yeah. this guy comes out, and it's just like the ultimate. I got you, right? Like I win. This <laughs> is <laughs> you guys. You guys have Eric Williams and. Alonzo Morning or the ghost of Alonzo Morning, and I just beat you. So, how much quicker do people forgive Vince if Alonzo Morning just freaking comes and plays? And oh, if if that trade is is different, and if if they get value for him, I think that the narrative is completely different. Um, oh. I think it is. Yeah. But the fact is, the team was brutal for years because we got nothing for Vince, which is of course somehow Vince's fault. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, the, the Alonzo, I, I still have this, like, I, I, I still claim Alonzo Mourning is my least favorite Raptor of all time, like, <laughs> I don't care, uh, you know, there's Jermaine O'Neal and Sean Marion in this brief time he was here where he hated it for every second he was here, no, Alonzo Mourning, uh, he surpasses Hito Turgaloo for me, just, uh, he, he, he surpasses Bargnani too, those guys at least played. Um, yeah. They actually showed up and put the jersey on, and Alonzo Mourning just never did. I was in Chicago a couple weeks ago, and I was at this like vintage jersey store, and I came across an Alonzo Mourning Miami Heat jersey from like the '90s. Uh, it was like perfect condition, like 25 bucks, and I was like, you know what? I'm not buying this because <laughs> screw Alonzo Mourning. Um, and yeah, like so. Here's my other theory too: is that had the Raptors taken Andre Iguodala instead of Hafa Arujo in the season before they dealt Vince Carter. I also think people forgive Vince a lot quicker because it's a team of, you know, Andre Iguodala and Chris Bosh and maybe Alonzo Mourning instead of Hoffa and the Williamses and whatever the hell, the hell else they got in that well, trade. Well, I was... think if they take Iguodala, Vince doesn't go. Um, I yeah, think that's, that, also, that, that's also possible. Yeah, I, th I think that um, the whole situation is so different. You know, you've got a, all of a sudden you've got a talented team. Um, my, my guess is you don't end up with Babcock. Um, yeah. Like, because it, it was... It wasn't about he didn't make that pick, right? That was Grunwald. I I think it was Babcock that made the. Was it Babcock? Pick. I think it was okay. his first season. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. 
whatever it is. Like, I think if that team is, is better and they have Iguodala, um, I, I don't think Vince is as upset with management at that point, right? Um, but as a star, you see Hoffa, you're like, what? of course you're mad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm mad? Oh. Just a, 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 in the mid-2000s East... With Vince at the peak of his powers, because he was still, like, incredible with the Nets for, like, three or four years after he got dealt. Like, his numbers yeah. with the Nets are, like, almost better than his ones with the Raptors. Yeah. So, like, if, uh, picture Vince at that peak, Chris Bosh getting better and like, in his third and fourth seasons, and then Iguodala. I mean, uh, that's, like, that's the other great what-if. It's not just T-Mac and Vince as, like, the, the combo to sort of bring the Raptors to glory. It's, like, that, that threesome could have been pretty damn good in the Eastern Conference, too. Well, I think yeah. that the question with, with Vince, too, will always be, um, what if he didn't play in, you know, the early 2000s, late 90s, um, and instead played at a time when basketball is played like it is now, yeah. where th- like there wasn't as much put on the stars, it wasn't just iso ball, right? I think that he could have really thrived in a system, um, in, a, in a situation where there was less put on him, um, as far as like, creating offense and, and carrying the team in that way. Yeah, career 38% three-point shooter as well. It's, yeah. Uh, not so bad. Um, yeah, he, it's fascinating because, like, there was that whole era of, like, the next Jordans. Where, I mean, yeah. I think, who wrote about this? Uh, I can't, I, it might have been Chase Serrano or something like that for The Ringer. Just wrote about all the next Jordans from the 90s era. Like, maybe Kobe is the guy that became the closest to what Jordan was, but, like, Vince was right there. Like, of all yeah, those guys, he became the closest approximation, I think. You, you look at a, a guy, he has that body type, he has he plays the position, um, he's got all those things that um, you want in the next Jordan, right? Yeah. And I think that's part of the reason why Vince was so captivating in a way that T-Mac wasn't for Toronto, yeah. um, was because Toronto was, and everyone was looking for the next Jordan, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Vince fit that mold in a way that, uh, that T-Mac didn't, um, which I think is also a kind of a fun what if, where what if T-Mac had become the star of that team, right? And he took the brunt of everything, and Vince was able to kind of operate as this second fiddle kind of guy, um, uh, or at least a 1-1-A. One, one uh, I, I think that things work out differently if that was the case. Well, now I'm just in my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Figured it would go this way eventually, but uh, yeah. I guess that's about as good a place to wrap it up. We don't need to, you know, wish cast the mid-2000s again. Um <laughs> Nathaniel, I want to thank you for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Everyone, if you haven't read it yet, and I told you to read it last night before the podcast came out, uh, but make sure you read Nathaniel's piece at The Walrus. Uh, just a really, I, I think, uh, Free Darko, Nathaniel Freeman tweeted that that was the best thing he's ever read on Vince Carter, and like I really can't argue that. Hands down. Like, nothing will top that. I can retire. I can, like, <laughs> I mean, it, it's hard to argue. It's, it's really, really good. And it, like I said, it takes it to a more nuanced place that i think a lot of the conversations about vince carter do um so make sure you read that nathaniel where can people check out your work um well i'll be you know all over but uh hopefully more of the walrus coming up soon a few things in the uh, in the pipeline so follow my twitter account you'll see it there <laughs> fantastic and what's the twitter account uh, at nathaniel basin b-a-s-e-n uh, awesome thank you so much man and we'll uh hopefully catch up if you write another fantastic piece on vince carter one day soon or, <laughs> or some other raptor i suppose <laughs> thanks man take it easy hey prime members you can listen to this locked on podcast ad free on amazon music download the amazon music app today